You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number two. How's it going, everybody? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. Today's episode, we're talking with Kevin Brooks, and it was just really great to spend an hour or so with him and and just chat. We come from a, a similar background. He moved from a different state. I moved from a different state. And, and now we both live in Colorado and enjoy the mountains and all the hunting that it has to offer here. So again, it, it was fun to talk with him. We cover his background, his story. We talk about this year's encounters and how his season went from a standpoint of both elk and mule deer. And Kevin's just loaded with knowledge when it comes to hunting out here. He's been at this now for six, seven years. And I think you'll take away a lot of good strategy and information. I know I did from from this podcast. So it, it was a pleasure sitting down with him and learning from him. And for those of you who may be going out for a late season rifle, whether it's mule deer or elk, this episode's jam-packed with information. Kevin really knows his stuff. I really appreciate him being on here. Hope you guys enjoy it. So give it up for Kevin Brooks. All right, on the phone with us now, we have Kevin Brooks. Appreciate you coming on today, Kevin. How you doing today? I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, no problem. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you. We've kind of met through, well, met through um, just kind of a little text message, Facebook, and uh, kind of the connection there is through Drew Rouse at Real Game Calls, and uh, we'll get Drew on the on the show here before too long, but um, I'm just excited to talk to you because you're an avid hunter. Um, I follow your stuff. <laughs> you know what you're doing, so I'm I'm excited to uh, spend a little time and, and hear your story, man. I appreciate you, again, for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, feelings mutual. Yeah, Drew, Drew's a great guy. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the real game call industry, It's it's uh, they're doing a heck of a job with their elk calls and the deer, their deer calls and everything as well. And uh, it's great. I mean, social media, it brings people together, and, uh, you know, that's kind of how 
uh, we all got uh, got connected. So it's been a fun ride so far. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's cool how you get to connect with people and and uh, um, you know it's just whenever you can talk hunting, it's it's icing on the cake. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. But uh, but yeah, before we kind of dive into you know elk hunting and mule deer hunting, you've kind of had a hell of a season here, and I'm really interested to hear your story and and how it all went down. But just to kind of for myself and for everybody else, what's uh, what's your background? Where where'd you grow up? Where do you live now? And and what do you do for a living? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up on a uh, small dairy farm in northern Vermont, of all places. A uh, very rural town, uh, blue-collar family, a bunch of hard-working men and women. And uh, I've always wanted to live in Colorado. So once I finished school, I literally uh, packed up my truck. And I think that was 2000, 2010, late 2010. I just packed up the truck and, and drove out to Colorado. And uh, I ended up sleeping in my truck for a couple nights until I found a place to live and uh, <laughs> found some work. And, and the, uh, the rest has been history ever since. So, uh, you know, now I live in Fort Collins. I started off in Denver. And now I, uh, that was too busy for me. And now Fort Collins, uh, you know, I'd love to get back in the mountains like where you are, Adam. Uh, unfortunately, right now, work's got, me, uh, work's got me tied up here on the front range. But it's... Uh, uh, you know, I worked for a healthcare data information company. It's really uh, nothing too too fancy, but uh, I do the sales for them. And uh, you know, the nice thing about it, it just affords me the opportunity to do uh, what I love to do, and that's hunting. So I can't complain too much. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it almost sounds like a very similar story to to what I did. I <laughs> you're kind of a next level up. You sound like you just got in the truck and and went out on a whim and, uh, made it happen. I, uh, I kind of find myself in a, a similar boat, but it took me a little longer to get out here. I kind of put the pieces in place. And by the time I kind of decided I wanted to move, it was about six months after the fact, but it sounds, it sounds like from your side, you kind of just <laughs> dropped what you had going and, and drove out. Is that kind of the case? Yeah, that's exactly the case. I, uh, I literally, uh, had an old Chevy Silverado and I packed it full, full and, uh, and just left. It was just, sometimes you just got to take the leap and, uh, and I did it. And, uh, you know, it's a cool story looking back on it. It was it's terrifying, but at the same time, it, uh, I'm glad I did it. That's for sure. That's awesome. Now, what, what was your experience with Colorado before then? Why Colorado? <laughs> If I had a dollar for every time someone asked me that. So the uh, as a little kid, I remember watching, uh, and we're going way back here. I remember watching, I think it was a National Geographic or something like that. It was just a, a documentary on uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. And for some reason, from that point on, I've just been absolutely obsessed with Colorado. And uh, when I was 15, I, my father and a bunch of his friends came out to Colorado, the Flat Tops, actually, and did a hunt. Uh, second season elk hunt out here and they actually didn't uh well i think one guy got a mule deer but they had some horrendous weather uh where they actually the wall tent that they were camped in uh they got so much snow it collapsed and they got snowed in for a few days up there so uh wow you know after seeing all their photos and everything i was just like i gotta be out there i just absolutely i was just drawn to colorado so um yeah, that's it's kind of a primal instinct, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I, you know, and I I find myself in a 
a similar scenario. I mean, I'd, I'd been out to Colorado before a number, not a number of times, but a handful of times. And, and it just, there's something about the mountains, right. That just kind of draws you in and, yeah. and you never want to go, especially coming from uh, the Northeast. I mean, you got a little terrain out there, but it's nothing like it is out here. So that's, that's cool, no. man. That's, that's great to hear. Yeah. It sounds cliche, but it's, uh, I had never even been out here before. I just, I just saw pictures of it and I said, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> you just, sometimes you got to follow, uh, follow your heart. So that's what I did. That's awesome. Cause that's really, that's really what this is about and, and why I'm doing this podcast is really, um, to hear people's stories like, like yourself. I mean, you literally just dropped it, dropped what you're doing and, and went for it. And I kind of want to portray that same thing, not necessarily people like changing their lives and moving, but kind of to inspire people to go on a, on a Western hunt. So this is a Western focused podcast and you know, it, it's awesome to hear that you did that and now you're doing it out here. Um, you know, people can relate to that by kind of dropping what they're, what they know and maybe the Northeast or the Midwest or wherever that and, uh, head West and, and try it, even though you've never done it before. And there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it will change your life. I mean, there's something about elk hunting, uh, that it, I can't even put it into words, to be honest with you. I mean, it's probably the most addicting. I was a whitetail fanatic before I came out here and I still love to hunt whitetails, but there is something about elk hunting that's just on a especially archery during the rut it's it's on a whole nother level it's a yeah exactly you just have to experience it and once you do you mm-hmm. you get bit by the bug and uh <laughs> i i don't have any plans of slowing down anytime soon and uh i'll look forward to <laughs> yeah. hunting out for hopefully the rest of my life yes absolutely so you grew up you grew up hunting whitetails when did you when did you get into hunting from a, a very young age and and how'd that all kind of come to be yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my father's, uh, he's, he's kind of, he's brought me under his wing ever since I could walk really. So, uh, he, my first whitetail hunt, I think I was uh, 11 years old and, uh, I got back. I, I still remember it to this, to this day. I mean, I think it's my fondest memory of hunting. Uh, you know, I had a small little tree stand on the edge of, uh, of an alfalfa field behind our farm. And, uh, after school, I, I ran up there and, uh, it's just one of those perfect nights to hunt whitetail, you know, a storm was rolling in, the temperature was dropping. I mean, the deer, you just knew the deer were going to be moving. So I jumped in the tree stand and, uh, was fortunate enough to have a little three pointer come in and, uh, and, and was har- harvested him at it. I think it was only 13 yards with an old, uh, PSE bow that probably only had 40 pound draw, but <laughs> it got the job done. <laughs> Uh, hey man that's so all it takes uh, yeah yeah absolutely and uh i mean he uh he only went about 45 yards and i was able to see him collapse and uh to this day it's it still didn't it still doesn't feel real to see that all happen you know at, a, at such a young age but uh you know so i got my start probably yeah right around 11 years old was when i first started whitetail hunting that's great that's really cool yeah so you said you moved out in 2010. Now, did you, did you kind of jump right into hunting elk or mule deer? Uh, I guess when, when did you move out? Was it kind of the summer or was it kind of early winter where you had some time to kind of prepare or what was that time frame like? (laughs) 
Yeah, so as if I remember right, it was late 2010. It was practically 2011 by the time I got out here. Um, so my first year uh, archery archery season when elk season finally came around, I did. It was more of a scouting mission, trying to kind of get a feel for what the heck I was even doing. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, I didn't have an idea where to start. It was mostly just word of mouth from coworkers, et cetera. And, uh, you know, some outdated forums that you find on, on, uh, on Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yep. uh, you know, so I had a close encounter and that was all that it took. Um, you know, I think I only hunted a couple days. Is this not elk? because I didn't want to, but it was, yeah, this was elk, uh, in 2011. And it wasn't be it was more just from the financial side of it. I didn't have enough money to really be driving up into the mountains every single weekend at that point in my life. Uh, so I had to pick and choose when I went, but, uh, I had one close encounter that first year with, with a bull, uh, you know, and once you hear him bugle within a hundred yards, I mean, like you said, you just get hooked. And, uh, so after that, you know, I was, I, the bugs started to grow and, uh, you know, I started to plan for, for future hunts and, uh, you know, 2012 was when I really started to, to get into it and, uh, taking, you know, a couple of weeks off from work and, and dedicating a lot of time to it. Um, but that first year was more, you know, if any, a lot of people, you come out here and it was just more of getting a feel for the mountains, getting a feel for what, what to do, where, what are going to be the challenges, et cetera, stuff like that, you know, and, really looking at what gear I had. I mean, after the first year, I was like, okay, I need, I need new boots. I need a new pack. <laughs> you know, the list, <laughs> yeah. the list was, uh, uh, got expensive really quick because what I had, what I was used to having, um, you know, just didn't cut it out here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I found myself in a similar boat. I, I moved out and I landed in Colorado in middle of June, 2015. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, I kind of just took the, I was hunting in Western Kansas and I had tags out there and I wanted to put all my, you know, focus on that. And since I was a, a non-resident and I wasn't going, wasn't going to have my residency by the time elk season came around, I kind of took that $600 tag and I put it towards gear. So I didn't even hunt the first year. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, yeah. it, you come out and you do have some of the stuff that you need. I mean, it's not, it's not like you're starting from scratch, but Um, there is a lot of different gear that you need to kind of add to the, um, to the, uh, tool, tool shed there. And, um, you know, it costs money. It's not cheap. (laughs) No, it's honestly, it seems like every year there's stuff that you look back and you're like, boy, I wish, I wish I had this at this time or, you know, this was too much. You know, honestly, I pack more stuff in, in my pack and carry it around on a day-to-day basis. I think every single year. And, this this year it kind of reached a tipping point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to start figuring out what's an absolute necessity from from just a survival standpoint to uh, what I I can live without. Because I mean, honestly, you could walk around with a horse and all the gear that you need. Um, so it's just it's finding it, the hardest part is finding that balance. Where what can you have out in the woods and stay out in the woods all day, um, and uh, you know not kill yourself on your back. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Now, when you, when you first started hunting, were you, were you doing this alone and kind of just going in solo or did you have some guys or friends that, that you knew and you hunted with, uh, for that first year? I've been going in, uh, ever since I got here, it's been on my own really. Um, nice. and you know, that's, 
it's not by default. You know, I'd certainly, my father's come out a few times and unfortunately my father just had the worst luck in, uh, in Colorado. I don't know what it is. You know, the first year, 2012, probably, uh, the second year we were hunting, we called in, it was probably one of my favorite years, even though we didn't punch a tag. It was just one of those ones where you learn so much. We called in six different bulls and, uh, you know, unfortunately he had an opportunity and, you know, the, the uh, I think it was uh, five by five at about 45 yards, if I remember correctly. And unfortunately, neither him nor I saw the branch that uh, deflected his arrow. <laughs> uh, you know, so so that was his first experience. And then we switched to muzzleloaders his, his second time out here. And somehow his peep sight on his muzzleloader uh, – broken half i've never even seen anything like it so he's just he's had some pretty unfortunate luck but uh other than that i've been mostly hunting by myself ever since i got out here and uh you know it's just one of those things where i really haven't got into the social media stuff until recently so meeting more people like yourself um you know it's i envision myself as as the years progress here hunting with some more people because it'd be nice to share those experiences with other people in the woods that's for sure yeah. Yeah. No. And, um, you know, I give you, I give you props, man. I mean, going in, going in by yourself is, is a whole different level. And, um, you know, I'll never forget my first elk hunt. I went in and I kind of went in with pack on my back and tent and I was going in overnight and I'll, I told myself to turn around about five times <laughs> walking in and <laughs> I, I somehow fought through it and spent the night and hunted the next day. But man, it's, it's, it's coming from, you know, the Northeast or Midwest, you're typically, you're dealing with smaller tracts of land or not as big as terrain. And, and a lot of times you have, you have cell service and, uh, to become Mm -hmm. comfortable with being uncomfortable or being by yourself, it's, it takes some time. So that's cool that you kind of jumped right into it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just have to, I think the biggest thing and probably the biggest piece of advice is just knowing your limits. You know, you never want to, as much as you want to be successful out there, uh, you know, probably the most important thing is to know how far you can go and what your limits are. Because once you go past the limits, that's when, that's when people get in trouble. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Certainly. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So as far as like getting started with hunting and how we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about we'll get into kind of this year's season and, and your hunt. I want to talk first. I want to talk about this year's elk hunt. Cause I've been seeing your stories okay. and, and, uh, pictures <laughs> and all that stuff. I know you kind of had a roller coaster year that way. And then we'll get into, um, some really exciting stuff with the mule deer. Um, uh, but before that, yeah, how, how did you tell me about where you're hunting and how that, how that came to be? Are you hunting elk and mule deer in the same spot? How did you find this location? Are you hunting there, you know, year after year? Or are you kind of bouncing around to different places? Tell me a little bit about where you hunt and, and why you're there. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the type of hunter that bounces around a lot. I know there's going to be some guys that hear that and just roll their eyes, um, which is fine. I know there's a lot of guys out there that think hunting the same spot is, uh, you, you know, you learn elk patterns, etc. Unfortunately, um, you know, I, when I first got out here, I hunted a unit, uh, is unit 18 out by Grand Lake. Um, and I still hunt it today. Uh, you know, I do spend some time in there just because I know it so well. Um, but unfortunately just, it gets to a certain point where 
the hunting pressure just becomes unmanageable. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, uh, 2016, I moved out by, uh, Glenwood Springs out there. It's 43, 44. And it seems like there's a little less pressure out there. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I stumbled across this area and in 2016, I shot a, this, a six by six up there. Uh, so coming into this season, I had high expectations cause I didn't see a single person up there. Not one day did I ever bump into another person in, wow. uh, during my 2016 archery season. I mean, it was just, it was like it, too good to be true. And, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that really panned out because this year, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had trail cameras all over the place up there and had five or six different bulls that were coming into a spot on a regular basis. And, uh, unfortunately I had probably six or seven different hunters that greeted me in there <laughs> this year. <laughs> uh, you know, and, th- and that's just, that's the case. I mean, it's public land. You can't, you can, all you can do is try to adjust to it and move on. I mean, there's nothing, I'll never get mad at anybody or anything like that. I actually try to spark up a conversation with anybody I meet because honestly, if they're hunting the same spot, you know, I, my feeling about it is, Hey, maybe we can work together to, to, uh, see some success. Uh, that's kind of how I approach it. And, uh, you know, fortunately when you approach it like that, I've had a lot of good encounters with a lot of people up in the woods. Um, but that's how elk season started off. So, uh, I actually, backed out of that unit and went to 18 uh kind of the unit i grew up hunting in colorado here and cutting my teeth on it and it's an area i know extremely well and this is probably the story you're thinking about adam um but yeah uh the morning just panned out perfectly uh, you know i had a, I was walking up the trail at, at dark and uh, right at first light i heard a bugle and just knowing the area well uh i knew exactly where he was so i I approached the area with the wind in my face. And, uh, once I got to where I thought I heard him bugle, I gave a couple cow calls and, and nothing. And then I let out a bugle, nothing. Um, and just from past experiences, when I've bumped into elk in that particular area, I've, uh, they've gone to this one Aspen Valley, uh, up above this location. So worked my way up there and sure enough, I get to the top of the ridge, let out a bugle, and he, he responds right to me. And, uh, you know, I can tell he's closing the distance and I'm like, okay, I know where you're going to go. I know how this is going to play out. Um, so I give him a couple cow calls and he's coming and, you know, your heart starts to race. You're like, he was 200 yards five minutes ago. Now he's a hundred yards. <laughs> wow. And, uh, so he's, you know, he keeps coming, he keeps coming and I can literally hear him at this point rubbing a tree and he's rolling around in the wallows uh, but he's just out of sight and, uh, I give him a couple more cow calls and all of a sudden I see tines coming through the woods and I'm like, Oh my goodness, here he comes. Uh, so I, I, he goes behind some brush. I go to full draw and you know, he's, he's roughly right in that 30, 35, maybe 40 yards. That's what I'm thinking in my head, um, range. And then where he stops, he starts to rake a tree and he's facing me. Uh, but as he's rubbing it, he's slowly turning more and more broadside. And, uh, once he turned broadside, I let the arrow fly. And I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I remember seeing that arrow hit him and he jumped kind of like if you'd slap a horse on its rear end, he kind of jumped and then took a couple steps and stopped real quick. 
and then tried to run uphill. And I got to, I got to see where the arrow went in. I'm sitting there the whole time. I'm thinking I'm going to see you in 45 minutes. Like that's a done deal. Um, but unfortunately the, uh, the blood trail on him dried up and I was never able to recover that bull, which is to this day, it's, it's hard to, for me to even talk about. Um, cause it's just, it's the last thing you ever want to experience as a hunter. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, we've all been there. I mean, for people to say that they've never wounded an animal, I mean, maybe there's some people out there, but it's something that us as hunters, we have to accept that it can happen. It's not what we aim for. Uh, that's for sure. But, um, it does happen. No, no, it, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's probably the most sickening feeling in the world. Um, you know, I, I remember watching the blood and, and, it got less and less and less and you just immediately start thinking it's like please no please 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 no and uh unfortunately uh, i spent the rest of the season in there i got, i never came across um you know typically if you find if there's a dead animal i mean you're going to see birds you're going to see predators but uh, in my heart i i think he made it i don't know how he did um and, what do you and think maybe happened? i could be you know from I I was like a student studying for a test. The only thing I could think of is I shoot expanded broadheads, and every time I've ever shot, whether it's a deer, whether it's an elk, um, I've always seen that that huge gaping hole every single time. And I didn't see it on him when he stopped. Like well, after I shot, he ran a couple yards and stopped. There wasn't time to knock another arrow, but you know this all happened within a two second time frame. And he was actually closer to me when he stopped, but I didn't, I remember clear as day. I can still picture it as we speak now. I didn't see that prototypical two inch gaping hole on the broadhead. Um, you know, the arrow was location wise. I would take that shot again, every single time, every single time. So the only thing I can think of is it went in it and it hit a rib and maybe it bent the, uh, the broadhead to where the arrow where the, uh, the blades wouldn't expand. That's, that's the only thing that makes sense. Either that or it deflected off a rib. Uh, but I mean, when I saw it, that arrow was, was very, it was straight on. I don't think it was a deflection as much as it was a case where the, the broadheads didn't expand properly. Yeah. Yeah. Which so placement I've heard happened. Um, the placement looked fantastic. I mean, I, 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 I literally poured through, kill shot photos for days and i'm like this doesn't make any sense to me i can't believe that i'm not finding him and just with the amount of blood that i saw you know it was never pouring out of them like i've seen in other cases where i mean i've shot the same broadhead now for geez 13 13 years probably and i've literally i've shot elk with it where they only go 10 yards um you know, I've never had an issue with it. And this was just a completely different case and a different in every aspect, like the way he took off running to the, to the, uh, uh, to that, that arrow where he went in. I mean, I just did not see that gaping hole that I'm used to seeing on him. Yeah. Yeah. And what, uh, what did, uh, what did the penetration look like? I mean, did you, did you find your arrow and, and were able to see that or, or no? Yeah, it didn't go all, it didn't go all the way through. I had, you know, so he ended up being exactly 37 yards. Um, and I probably had about 10 inches of 
10 inches of the arrow left that broke off. But I mean, I had blood almost all the way to the fletching. Wow. Uh, so it, yeah, I mean, it, it, there is plenty of penetration. And the thing that kills me the most is if you look at a photo from my 2016 bull, and if I was able to take a picture of the shot placement on this bull from this year, they're almost identical. You know, and that was a, uh, last year's bull was a, was a double long. And I, I, I'd have to guess that this one was the same thing, unless somehow it just went in. I know there's some open space in there sometimes, but it just, it looked too good to, um, to not have a bull on the ground within a hundred yards. I figured he wasn't going to make it a hundred yards. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's but, tough, man. I mean, uh, that, a similar situation happened with one of the guys from work, he was shooting an expandable, and I shoot expandables as well, but he, he said he hit it right behind the shoulder, didn't hit the shoulder, and it hit, and he just didn't get the penetration and hardly any blood, mm-hmm. and it could be one of those things where you do hit a rib or something something went wrong. As as I kind of – yeah, and, and, I, and I love expandables uh, when they work, and if you do have a marginal shot, uh, they can be – devastating um the more i think about it the more i think about it though you know it's anything with moving parts can um you know there's there's stuff that can happen and and there's stuff that can happen with with fixed blades as well i'm not saying those are 100 percent uh but i i'm kind of kind of caught up in the air what i'm going to do for next year knowing what has happened um and and can happen maybe i'll end up switching to a fixed blade next year we'll see but it's still up in the air yeah, I actually I, I switched mid season after that. I you know, I I, I went to a uh, uh a fixed a three blade fixed uh fixed broadhead after that. Got it. Um you know, it was just even though I've had success for thirteen years, I mean all it takes is that one Yeah. You know, you never want that to happen under any circumstance. And it was just like so I went I ended up going with a heavier uh, next going into next year, I'm going to go heavier area, heavier, heavier arrow, heavier broadhead, just shoot more weight. Um, you know, obviously I'm not going to be able to shoot as far with that, but with that setup. but in my experience, I've never, I've never shot an elk further than 45 yards. You know, that's been, uh, the furthest shot I've ever taken with a bow. It's been 43. And, uh, you nice. know, other than that, they've all been, all been under 40 yards so i figured why not shoot shoot heavier arrow heavier broadhead and just get something that really punches and punches hard yeah no i i actually i actually did that this year i i bumped up to a really heavy area I, I probably went a little too heavy i went to a total arrow weight of like 550 grains so i <laughs> i bumped it up by like 100 <laughs> like 130 yeah. grains over last year and they definitely don't fly as quick, but they're, yeah. they seem like they're more forgiving. And then what I notice is that when you do get out to those longer ranges, the penetration is, is better, uh, because it's carrying that momentum. And, and then when it does hit, it's obviously got the weight and that kind of kinetic energy behind it. So I, I have yet to put it to the test yet. Cause I missed <laughs> this season. I didn't get to see how it performed, <laughs> but just from, from target practice and seeing my old arrows versus, this year's arrows, I, I see a big difference in, in penetration and how they fly. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, after that, after that transpired with the bull this year, I actually remember seeing you post about that 
And I was like, and I've seen others post about using a heavier broadhead and, and heavier arrows. So I was like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta do it. So, uh, you know, unfortunately I haven't had too much time to experiment with it yet this year because, uh, even for deer, for deer, uh, you know, you don't need as heavy as an arrow, especially when you're hunting out of a tree stand. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I'd switch from expandables to fixed for like whitetail hunting, for example. I mean, they just fly. I, I hopefully these words don't come back to bite me, but you know, from, from a whitetail perspective, you know, I've just never had an issue with those and, you know, whitetails, they're tough, but they're not a fraction of the size of what an elk is. So, um, I just, I think when you're thinking elk and you're thinking bow hunting elk, I think that heavier arrow and fixed blade might be something that, uh, people need to consider more. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, so that you told the story about this year's elk season. It sucks, man. I've been, I've been there, done that. And, uh, it's, it's not how you want the season to go and it's not how you want the season to end. Um, backing up a little bit. Now you said you'd hunted, hunted that spot before and you kind of knew the area and I watch your Instagram and, and Facebook. It seems like you're running a lot of trail cameras. How, how are you doing that? Are you, are you running them year round or do you put them out in the summer and kind of monitor them that way? Tell me a little bit about your scouting. Yeah, absolutely. I think trail cameras for elk hunting is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, uh, tools that you can use. I know getting up and, and, uh, glassing an area is great, but there's something about putting a trail camera up there and really seeing the inventory and when they're coming through and, you know, it's, it's eyes on the ground when you're not there. So I typically, I think I'm up to seven trail cameras now. It's getting to be a bit of an obsession. <laughs> uh, you can never have too but, many, right? Uh, you know, yeah, you know, I'll probably add three more this this year, but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I want for Christmas. Just, just give me some trail cameras. But I love them just from the fact that, you know, it gets you, it forces you out into the woods and it forces you to get, get up there and check it because nobody wants to leave $100, $200 tied to the side of a tree. Um you know, so I typically, what I look for when I'm, when I'm placing a trail camera is just, you know, any, any trail or any area, wallows, especially uh, any area where you see a lot of elk sign, I typically try to find an area where uh, I've hunted in the past and, you know, the, we've all been there. The bull somehow manages to escape. It's like, how does he sneak out of here? So, you know, eventually you can kind of piece the puzzle together and see some trails where they can get out of there. So I, typically place them on those trails just to see when they're moving through. Um, but you know, from a scouting perspective, I start probably, I've already started planning for the 2018 season. I'm starting to look at, you know, aerial photos of where I want to go and maybe some different units I want to try. Um, but boots on the ground, probably could, I get out there beginning of June at the, uh, maybe even May, but sometimes there's quite a bit of snow. Uh, you know, and the elk haven't really moved up yet. So depending on the weather, but right around summer, I start to get out there and, and start hanging trail cameras. Nice. Nice. Now this terrain, this terrain where you're hunting, what, describe that to me. I mean, what's the elevation where, do you have a lot of open areas like meadows and stuff that you're focusing on, or is it dark timber, uh, aspens kind of what, what do you, what are you working with and what's your typical scenario in the area you hunt? Yeah, so uh, it it kind of varies. Uh, out 
further west out by Glenwood, it's more dark, heavy timber with, you know, your typical aspen draws. And I, you know, I typically like to work the edge of that dark timber in the aspens. You're always going to catch a lot of elk sign in the aspens. I mean, there's, there's always walls, there's water, et cetera. But uh, once the pressure hits, and like I said, I mean, it's pretty hard to avoid pressure anywhere in Colorado. Um, they'll move into that dark timber. And I think, you know, typically I, I like to be right around 9,000, 10,000 feet, just below tree line. Um, I'm not one of the guys that early season hunting above tree line. I've never really done that before. You know, I typically like to get in the cooler areas where you don't bump into a lot of people. And typically the elk like to go in there to get away from the people. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a fond believer you hunt the pressure, you know, so just trying to figure out where they go. And it seems to be the worst place on earth. <laughs> Nine out of 10 times <laughs> where they like to go. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Now, do you, and, uh, do you see in your area, I found just from, you know, my very little experience of hunting, but I found that like flat, they like flat benchy kind of areas where, you know, they can kind of have everything they need, obviously food, water, uh, cover, but it seems something about those benches or flatter areas that they really kind of spend a lot of time in. Do you see that where you're at as well? Yeah, I see a lot of sign on the, uh, you know, on the benches that you're talking about. Uh, I think it just it makes for an easy travel corridor for them. But for some reason, every place I've ever gotten elk is the, most, is the steepest, most miserable place on the planet. <laughs> uh, you know, th- this year's bull too. It was just, you know, I was. It wasn't a, a, an aggressive incline, but we were definitely uh, we we're on the right off the top of 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 a knob and it was pretty steep where he was coming from. And the bull I got in 2016 was on this, on the side of a mountain where, you know, when he fell down, when he collapsed, I mean, he was rolling down the hill. Um, you know, so most of my, for some reason they've been traveling along, leaving the flat area and traveling. I typically like to figure out where they bed or, you know, they're never as consistent as whitetails that, but at the same time, you can kind of get an idea of where they like to go, um, at certain points of the day. And I try to cut them off in that point in time. It, when I see them on the flat areas, it's typically early morning or late afternoon. It's been my experience. Got it. Got it. Now, is that pretty consistent with you too? Or do you, are you, have you been seeing them, uh, all times of the day? You know, where I hunt, it's, pretty much where I'm at, I'm hunting the dark timber and then I'm trying to, I try to focus on like meadows or where you got like creeks coming down through with, with grass that way. Um, yep. that's just the area I know I've, I've, I've never really hunted anywhere else. So I, I can't really speak to, um, other terrains, but yeah, I, it seems like I'm, and it obviously depends on the time of year. It seems like early season, you know, I kind of know where they're bedding and I know early morning and late eating, they're going to pile out of those dark timber kind of north facing slopes and, and get out and feed. And kind of as yep. the, uh, as the rut starts kind of kicking up, I see a lot more movement. Obviously you're, you're hearing bugles and I see a lot more daytime activity as the, 
as the temperatures kind of drop as well. So it's, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of more of uh, season seasonal and, and weather focused for me and, and progression of the uh, time of year. So I think it just kind of varies. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a firm believer after the first week, <laughs> after the first week of archery season here, everything's off the table at that point. Everything that you've come to know and learn changes once that rut starts picking up and once the pressure picks up, I mean, it's just at that point I switched to hunting bugles. I'm, I'm listening for them more than I'm hunting the, uh, the areas where I know they've been in the past week. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, tell me, tell me about, um, digital scouting. Do you, do you do a lot of that? Like, are you, constantly kind of before you get into the season are you looking at google earth and kind of studying terrain or how's that all go yeah oh yeah absolutely like everybody else <laughs> uh yeah definitely uh I, i'm looking at it i'm taking it in areas and uh you know the, the old saying goes the further you get away get away from the road the better off you're going to be and that's true uh but at the same time you know one of the things i think i've noticed most uh while hunting out here is I've always been amazed that even in areas where you see a lot of pressure uh, in the weeks leading up to elk season, I never bump into anybody scouting. I, I, I'm trying to think of a time I've bumped into another hunter scouting. And, uh, you know, as good as digital scouting is, I don't think there's any replacement for boots on the ground. Uh, you know, Google Earth is a great tool, but it's never going to show you how steep or how bad your knees are going to burn walking up that hill. <laughs> you know? So you kind of have to get out there and, and uh, experience it. But it's a great, I wouldn't use it as my only scouting tool. I guess if you're out of state, you know, you have to, you have to take that into consideration. But if you're here in Colorado, uh, you know, I'll definitely find an area on Google Earth and then I will go and spend a weekend walking as many miles as I can through there without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's kind of a good starting point, and, it, and if you're trying to learn a new area, yeah, it's a it's a great way to kind of focus your efforts on where you're going to begin actually walking and, exactly. and covering terrain, and 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 like you said, that's that's really where you're you're gaining a lot of your intelligence and and learning these uh, these animals is is from actually getting out there and walking and and putting boots on the ground, like you said. So that's and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's where trail cameras are so great. I mean, you, you leave them up there, and I, for me, it's like a kid at Christmas. It's like I can't wait to go look and see what's on there. Uh, and it, it almost becomes an art form. You know, it, it's, not, it's not as easy as it looks. You can't just hang a, a camera up there and, and get good pictures. I mean, a lot of times it takes, it takes it, there's been a little bit of a learning curve as it goes, especially with elk, because uh, they kind of uh, – they're not walking on the same exact trail every single time. And I mean, even if you look at some of my trail camera photos, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, they're always coming in from a different angle. Oh yeah. 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 And they're, like you said earlier, they're not as predictable as white tails. Um, they could be here one day. Yeah. Uh, they're gone the next. So it's, it's, yeah. it's all about reading. Uh, a lot of it is kind of what you're dealt on that specific day and, and whether you're chasing a bugle or, um, you know, early season, you kind of play it, play it as it comes and, and play the cards you dealt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I've, I've done a lot over the, this year too, and I, I bring this up cause I just did it the other day 
is if I see a ton of trucks parked in one location and what I'll do is I'll, I'll go back to Google earth and get an aerial view of like, where are all these guys going? I mean, what, what's so good up here. And then, uh, you know, a great, something I've had success with, especially with mule deer is looking at that and then going into an area where I think all that pressure is going to push the deer or push the elk. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a backdoor way into some good hunting places because it's all, it, anybody that's hunted elk, anybody that's hunted deer, it only takes one weekend to move an entire herd of elk into a different location. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And you mentioned mule deer. I, uh, I have yet to hunt mule deer and I don't mean to kind of abruptly change the kind of the elk hunting, <laughs> but, and we could talk about this all day. We'll definitely have you oh, back yeah, on yeah. the show. We'll we'll dive into some deeper stuff. This is all good stuff. I think everyone's going to love it. But um, speaking of mule deer, I know from seeing your Facebook posts and and uh, Instagram and everything, and the text message you sent me, you killed a you killed something this weekend. Is that right? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was very fortunate this weekend. Yes. Um, tell me about you know he's tell me about oh, go ahead. Um, tell me about before, first, before we get into the story, are you hunting in the same area where you're, where you're hunting elk? Um, what, what does that look like? Yep. Yeah. So this is actually, it's the same area. It's 18. Uh, this is just, uh, where I hunt deer. It's the same ridge. I've hunted this ridge since 2015 and I've taken a mule deer off literally this exact same area, uh, three years in a row. It's just, uh, a lot of people don't like to walk that far back. <laughs> and I'm just being honest. A lot of people will, it, you don't have to venture as far in from mule deer a lot of times, but uh, you know, just from the pressure that I've seen from elk hunting and what I see the deer doing when I'm walking around for elk, I've just learned where they go. And uh, this, this ridgeline drops into a valley, uh, you know, and it's about three to four miles as the crow flies. Um, back there and i typically have that whole area to myself and uh you know obviously i, I catch some mule deer on my trail cameras as well uh, you know but a lot of times it's just i'm taking inventory while i'm elk while i'm uh, while i'm elk hunting i mean there's the buck i got in 2015 i saw him six times during archery season and he was in the same exact spot when i went back for for opening day rifle season mule deer so it, it's uh it works both ways Nice. Now, uh, so do you typically archery hunt and then you'll try to get a mule deer tag? Is that typically how you do it each year? Yeah, well, this year I put in, I, I put in for the draw in Colorado for mule deer, elk, and uh, unfortunately I, I didn't draw my number one tag. I wanted an archery tag for unit 43 for deer, and I ended up getting my fourth choice, which was second season uh, unit 18 in Colorado. Um, uh, you know, and obviously apparently it was, even though it was my first, first, fourth choice, it should have been, uh, it panned out to be very well for me. So, um, but yeah, I, I always, I would love to get, I'm, I'll be honest with everybody. I've never hunted mule deer with my bow because for some reason I can't seem to draw a tag. <laughs> you know, I'm building preference points, which is great, but, uh, you know, I, I would love to do that and experience that. I just, for some reason I haven't drawn and yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the way it pans out. 
Yeah, and and for people who may not know, in Colorado, you can get over-the-counter elk tags for archery, rifle, mule deer. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is is all draw? Is that correct, Kevin? That's yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. you you can have the uh, leftovers after the after the draw. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know that's kind of that's equivalent to an over-the-counter in the in the thought process and how it works, but. You know, you got to get there early. I mean, leftover tags go so quickly in Colorado now; it's it, it's unbelievable. I think the system crashes every single year they try to do this. I, I yeah, I I follow the leftover list because after you know they <laughs> announce the draw draw results and you know all that stuff, they come out with this list, right? So, and you're scouring yeah. through there to see what's available, and then you can either you know go into a store and and buy it there or buy it online, and yeah, it's just. It's chaos for sure. And, um, it, you know, it, definitely yeah. more people out there doing it now. And as the popularity kind of, uh, takes hold, uh, it's, it's probably going to get tougher and tougher for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you got to get into it, man. I mean, I know, uh, if you, if you like whitetail hunting, you, you'll love mule deer hunting as well. It's just making time for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. I, you know, I, I love, I just can't see myself yet. Uh, giving up my archery elk season, like where I archery hunt for elk, I literally don't see a single mule deer. So, and I, and I, and not that, you know, I'm going to hunt there forever, but I, I just can't see myself giving up chasing elk yet with a bow. Maybe after I knock a few more down and, and I've got some more experience that way, then I'll start chasing mule deer. But I think I want to save up a few more points and, you know, get a good unit and go from there. I'm still undecided. I I wouldn't mind doing a rifle hunt. Maybe I can do a rifle hunt next year and go from there. But I I definitely want to do it. It's it's on the list. Yeah. Well, rifle hunting, rifle hunting mule deer in the rut is is pretty fun. I mean that is that is right up there as well. Um, you know, fortunately, I just I've gotten into areas where. Uh, I see elk and mule deer intertwined. So it's just, you know, if I could just get the tag for archery, you know, it'd be one of those things where it probably, I probably wouldn't ever see one then, but, uh, you know, know, it'd be be nice to have one. Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's jump into this past weekend's hunt. Tell me, tell me how this all went down and you kind of already kind of, you know, hinted at it. You've, you know, the area and, and, you know the same ridge, but give us the give us the five minute or couple minute story on on how everything went yeah. down and 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 what happened over the course of this past weekend. Yeah, well, so I you know kind of the same routine. I just I, I know the area very well, so I just went in there uh, expecting to do kind of the same thing I always do, and I just work with the wind in my face and uh, kind of look down into some of these aspen draws where uh, it connects into some of the darker timber. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, that all went out the window. I couldn't find a buck anywhere, uh, in any of those draws where I've typically seen them in the past. So, uh, you know, I ended up dropping down below where I typically hunt. It was right at the base of the ridge, uh, where I've had some success in the past. But once I got down there, it was just an area, uh, there's tracks everywhere. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a pretty good snow. It started snowing Friday night around 1.30 in the morning, then it stopped uh, right about 6 o'clock where I was. So 
you know, we had a fresh snow and you could tell pretty quickly if the deer were in an area or not. And it was just one of those, one of those spots where it was just covered from head to toe deer everywhere. And I hunted in there on Saturday till probably about three o'clock. And I ended up leaving a little early because I wanted, judging by all the sign and just understanding the area, I was pretty sure that they were going to be moving through there in the morning. So I pulled out and just prepared for a morning hunt on Sunday and, uh, you know, got back in there at first light. And, uh, unfortunately they had moved from that one spot over to a different spot. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I was, to be honest with you, I was getting beyond discouraged. I think I'd seen about 20 does at this point, And I was just sitting here thinking, cause I never hunt second season. I always hunt third season or fourth season. And I'm used to seeing the bucks with the does. So I'm sitting here like, I'm kind of at a loss cause I've never hunted second season before. And then I just end up saying, well, there's one, one last area I haven't checked yet. And uh, so I ended up circling around, getting the wind in my face and I like to still hunt a lot. And what I mean by still hunt, or uh, as my father calls it, he's like, just go hang out with the deer. I know it's kind of a <laughs> a cliche saying, but it's, you know, it's something where you get into an area where there's a lot of sign and, you know, the area I hunt's not a, an area that's conducive to glassing. It's more of an area where you, you zigzag through it. You walk really slow and, you know, you can kind of use your instincts and you're looking around to see, uh, you know, if you can spot a deer, I mean, it's, it's a tough way to hunt them, but it's been, uh, if you do it right, it can be extremely successful. And that's what I did here. I just started zigzagging through this area. I'm like, I know there's deer in here. It's covered in rubs, <laughs> you know, big rubs and, you know, 12 inch diameter trees. I'm like, he's in here somewhere. I just have to find him. And, uh, I got to an opening and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And then all of a sudden I just immediately when I saw his body, I'm like, there he is. And then, uh, you know, I saw the horns and I'm like, Oh my goodness. And so, you know, I, I just used a tree for, for my rest and, uh, it was about an 85 yard shot and, uh, made a perfect shot on him. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the rest is history. So he's certainly, uh, he's certainly my biggest to date. I have, I have not put a tape to him yet. Um, I'm I'm going to in the next couple of days, but we're uh, from what I've been guessing and what I've been talking to people, it's he should be in the 180 inch range. Wow, it's, uh, it's kind of the number that's been thrown out there right now. So pretty pretty amazing animal to say the least. Yeah, man, that's a that's a hell of a deer. When I saw that, when I saw you send the picture over, I was like, oh my god, he's got one! Can't believe it. I, I guess I can <laughs> believe it. I knew you were. I knew you were probably in a really good area and you knew what you're doing. And, and, uh, when I got that text, I was like, hell yeah, man, that's great. Yeah. He, uh, you know, I, I think he, when my first reaction was, I was like, that's a good deer. I, and, but once you got, once I got over to him, I was like, Oh my, Oh my Lord. You know, it's just, it kind of hit you that you have something special. I mean, every, I shouldn't say something special. Every, every deer to me is special. And it's really, uh, you know, the score is secondary to me. It's, it's the experience, uh, you know, and obviously, uh, having some delicious meat that you can, can eat as well. That, that's for, that's the reason why I hunt is for the experience and, uh, not so much the score, but it, you know, when you get an animal that of that caliber, it's certainly something that, uh, the curiosity to see what it, it tapes out has certainly been eaten at me, but, uh, you know, to, to wrap up the story, I, I got him around two o'clock and, 
I still had about four miles <laughs> to go to get him out of the woods. And it took me two, two trips. And, uh, I think it was about 1115 at night by the time I was, was all done with it. Um, so it was a pretty, it was pretty surreal, uh, surreal evening walking out with, the uh, with the moon and the stars and, and, uh, the deer on your back is, is pretty special. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You'll, you'll never forget that. That's a, that's a great deer. And, um, let me know what it scores. I'm curious. Cause I know, it, I know it's a good one. That's uh that's a great deer. That's a great deer. What's on tap for the rest of the year? What uh, are you doing any more hunting for, uh, later in the season? You going to hunt whitetail somewhere? Yeah. So now it's, I, as I confessed earlier, I am a whitetail fanatic. I know, I know whitetail is like a dirty word in Colorado. It's really a dirty word in the West. I mean, to be honest with you, it's an underappreciated <laughs> animal in the West. And I've never understood it. I mean, I think whitetails are uh, just an absolute unbelievable experience to hunt, especially during the rut. I typically head up to northern Idaho. Uh, but this year, I actually finally, I drew a tag for uh, eastern Wyoming up by uh, where the Black Hills kind of spill into uh, spill into Wyoming. So I have that on tap for the, uh, the middle of November and, uh, next week I'm actually flying back home to, uh, New England to hunt with my father. It's been way too long since I've had an opportunity to spend any time with him in general. So, uh, it's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to just to spend some time with the old man and, uh, get back to my, get back to my roots, so to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait as well. It sounds like you got a jam packed fall and, uh, look forward to seeing what comes from that before we, uh, before we jump off here, tell us, tell us a little bit about Colorado big game club. I've, I've been following that and, and, uh, you know, like the page and the website and everything. When did you start that? What, what's it about? Tell everybody where, where they can go to find it and, and what it entails. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you can find it at www.coloradobiggameclub.com. It was really, it spawned, uh, you know, I mean, everybody that I've watched, I mean, even yourself, Adam, it, it all has kind of come together from what a lot of other people have done. You know, as uh, the hunting industry grows, uh, you know, it, we need voices within the industry to talk about a lot of the good things that are going on within the hunting industry. Uh, you know, social media has really made hunting visible to a greater audience, which is fantastic. But at the same time, when that happens, you know, we're going to face obstacles and the hunting industry is only going to be as strong as our ability to work together. And hopefully we can uh, do that through Colorado Big Game Club. So essentially what we're doing is just celebrating uh, Colorado's hunting heritage, Colorado's hunting culture, and really celebrating the success of hunters in the state of Colorado. You know, it's not just to highlight kevin brooks or anybody else it's really to highlight everybody that's in the state that's cutting their teeth on the on public land private land whatever it might be you know it's really to celebrate their voice and uh celebrate their success and celebrate their experiences and hopefully we can learn something from it that's great man yeah that's that's great so if you're listening go check out colorado big game club uh, connect with Kevin, follow what he's doing. Uh, but let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We could talk for hours, I'm sure. And we'll, we'll <laughs> definitely have you back. It's been great. Um, sorry it took so long to finally actually talk to you and, 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 uh, talk on the phone here, but you know, I'm glad we finally made it happen and, uh, definitely appreciate you being on Kevin. 
Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Adam. I greatly appreciate it. And that is it for episode number two. It was seriously a pleasure sitting down with Kevin. Can't thank him enough. We'll look forward to having him back on the show. The guy really knows his stuff, right? Loaded with knowledge, and we could dive into so many different angles on a lot of what we were talking about. But, again, it was just great to hear his story from this year. I hope you guys learned something. I hope you're inspired. I hope you like you like what you're hearing and uh, you know, leave me some feedback. I hope, hope you uh, were able to take something away from this and apply it to maybe next year and, and, and go on your own hunt. With that being said, make sure to subscribe to the sportsman's nation podcast. It's loaded with a lot of great information. I'm doing the Western hunting podcast. There's also a couple others on there, the DIY sportsman, the land and legacy. And of course, nine finger chronicles so subscribe you'll get these episodes delivered to your phone every week or however you want to listen to them but uh, make sure to do that if you haven't checked out transitionwild.com go over there check out the site give me some feedback and follow me on social media it's all sincerely appreciated i'm looking forward to hunting whitetails my kind of mountain western hunting has wrapped up here and i'm ready to kind of head east and we'll start with iowa and then we'll head out to kansas for some whitetail hunting so again appreciate the support thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you later have a great day